Welcome to Slim and Satisfied, a podcast about weight loss for women dealing with hormonal imbalances. I'm Daphna Chazen, registered dietitian and weight loss coach, and I invite you to join me weekly for conversations, practical strategies, and resources that will lead you on the right path to feeling satisfied with your body and your life. And now, let's get to today's episode. everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I am excited that you're here today since we're talking about a very popular topic, intermittent fasting. If you're new to this podcast, welcome. I'm so grateful that you chose to tune in today. And if you've listened to previous episodes and you're returning to me today, thank you so much for your support. I get so many questions about intermittent fasting and there's a little bit of confusion around it. Specifically questions around, is it related to keto? Who should be doing this? How would it work? What would a typical day look like, etc.? So today we're gonna address all of these questions and I'm gonna let you know exactly what practices I see to work best with myself as well as with my clients as it relates to fasting. Fasting is trendy right now, but it's actually not at all a new concept. It has been practiced for thousands of years as part of religious and spiritual practices all around the globe. And we all do it to some degree every single night when we sleep. The human body has this remarkable ability to continue functioning both physically and cognitively, which basically means we can move our body, keep all our organs functioning, and continue to think even when we're fasted. That's how we've adapted as a species throughout evolution. The reason we're able to do this is that the body actually prepares for fasting every single day. It does this by building up the stored energy in our liver and in our fat cells that allows the body to sustain itself even when there's no external energy coming in from food and drink. So you can think of your liver and fat cells as a storage facility, as a storage warehouse for energy for periods of famine. But with our less than perfect modern lifestyle and the major changes that have happened now in how we eat and how we behave around food and how little we move during the day, it has created a situation where we're never really in a fasted state for too long. We're always fed. So we never really tap into the warehouse of energy storage and take stuff out of there as much as we can. And some studies show that constantly being in a fed state may actually be part of the reason we have such an epidemic of overweight and obesity, as well as all the modern health problems associated with it, like metabolic syndrome and prediabetes and a lot more cardiovascular disease and uh, insulin resistance and things like that. So over the past several years, fasting as a way to enhance health has gained a lot of momentum and interest. And there's also a good amount of science to back this movement or philosophy up with studies that show the different benefits of intermittent fasting and how it can actually work to help someone improve their health in a way that's far less unsustainable and extreme than some of the other diets that we see out there. So intermittent fasting, I don't really see it as a diet. I don't really see it as a single strategy to use. And it's definitely not a silver bullet, but I do think that it can be a helpful tool to use to augment what you're already doing with the diet, with your food choices, as well as things like 
portions and movement and of course, mindset management. So we're gonna talk a little bit about what the science shows for intermittent fasting and how you can possibly implement this in a way that will give you good results. I'd like to get started by telling you that not all fasting is created equal and not everyone should be giving fasting a shot. Like anything else that we're doing to get healthier, we have to follow some guidelines, make sure that we're practicing something that's going to be sustainable and ensuring that it feels right for our body because we're ultimately the ones that have to create a lifestyle around it. So today I'd like to break this topic down for you and explain what we know about fasting, who would likely benefit from it most, and how you can get started if you're interested. Let's start by getting a description or talking about what fasting is. There are several types of regimens around intermittent fasting, and I'm going to mention the main three ones today. The first one is alternate day fasting. In this version, we drink only water and have nothing else every other day, meaning we eat our normal meals one day and then consume only water the following day. A second type is known as energy-restricted eating, which is also known as 5 to 2, and it means that we're consuming 500 to 700 calories a couple times a week, and all other days we're eating a higher amount of calories without any counting or measuring too much. So we're restricting for two days a week. We're keeping those days relatively low, I would say very, very low. They're only totaling around 500 calories for the whole day, and they're usually non-consecutive. So they're very low in calories, and that's why you don't want to do that two days in a row. The first two types that I just mentioned are ones that I actually do not recommend. I never did it myself, and I will never recommend it to a client. I think they're too extreme, and I don't like the way they're set up. I don't think that that's really giving you a good foundation for success with intermittent fasting in particular, or healthy eating in general. So I just want to preface that I don't recommend them. They do exist. So I wanted to mention them and describe them, but I don't recommend them. And there are probably health experts out there that use intermittent fasting in these ways and may say that I describe them inaccurately. But for me, that's how I simplify it. And I understand these two types and they do not appeal to me. I don't really see the benefit in doing it that way. I have in the past fasted for about 30 hours, and I do this once a year as part of a religious practice, but I wouldn't do it as an ongoing strategy. And I also don't know if it can fit into most of my clients' lifestyles. So I like to use something that's more realistic and someone can actually stick with for long term. Which leads us well into the next type of intermittent fasting style that I wanted to talk about, and that is time-restricted fasting. This is the type I find to be most reasonable to follow long-term, and I practice this myself most days of the week, and it's very, very doable. In this type of fasting, you're limiting the feeding window to about 8 to 10 hours per day. So if you eat the first thing around 10 a.m., you'll be done with your last meal around 6 p.m., I like to end my meals on the earlier side, and that's why I often recommend this to my client because I've seen great results with it myself. But I do have women who come to my practice and pick later starting times. So it's really not set in stone. You can pick any 8 to 12 hour window. Maybe you start with a 10 hour window and you just practice it during those times. So it could be noon to 8, 6 a.m. to 2 p.m., 2 p.m. to 10 p.m., you get the point, right? Any 8 or 10 or even 12 hour window in your day, I see most success with a window that starts mid-morning. 
Now, before we get into the research, I wanted to say that the reason I like the last type of fasting the best is that it really flows nicely with the concept of moderation that we spoke about in a prior episode. I believe it was episode number nine. Having the time limitation each day gives just the right balance of making your own food choices, but having that structure as well as knowing that you need to end your meals by a certain time. So it's a nice complementary strategy to eating in the 80-20 way, for instance. I also feel like when you have a set period of time to consume your food, and I know some of my clients have mentioned this to me as well, you're more likely to make mindful decisions around food and really think about what you'd like to include in your feeding window. And I definitely like the fact that we're not overly restricting and then overly indulging, which is of course extreme on both ends. I like to be more moderate, and this really sits well with how I view healthy eating. I also find that when people fast, they have more time to think about what they ate, to reflect a little bit about how you feel and how your body is responding to the food that you just took in. This is a great example of becoming more mindful and eating more intuitively, really getting in tune with your body and seeing what kind of things make your body feel good, what kind of things are not working well. When you have that natural pause, when you really have that break, you're going to gain a lot of new insights about how food makes your body feel. And that's very valuable for overall health, not just for weight loss. One of the things that my clients love about intermittent fasting is that it helps with nighttime eating. It really can help someone cut back on nighttime eating, of course, assuming that the feeding window ends on the earlier side of the evening. This is one of those benefits that Nobody really talks about it, doesn't get a lot of attention or official research, but it is very, very meaningful. Many of my clients snack at night, and this is often a mindless habit that they'd like to get rid of. They'd like to change. In most cases, nighttime eating is more emotional and not based on physical hunger. So if it's happening on a regular basis, it can really have a huge impact on weight. And it will likely be very difficult to get to a healthy weight if Several hundred calories on top of the meal calories during the day are consumed at night. So, of course, we want to address this. And in most cases, we look for healthier alternatives in conjunction with reducing the need to rely on food to manage emotions. But I have seen that having a cutoff time can be a great catalyst in the process and really help someone break this habit a little bit more easily and quickly. So we're going to move on to talking about the benefits of intermittent fasting, and since I really like time-restricted eating, that's the evidence I pulled for today's episode so we can talk about the most relevant science for this specific version of intermittent fasting. Remember that the type of eating that emphasizes intermittent fasting with a time-restricted window is an 8 to 10 hour of a feeding window each day. The first study I looked at showed the benefits of time-restricted eating, especially when it was combined with resistance training, which includes things like weightlifting, Pilates, TRX, and anything that uses your body weight without increasing heart rate too much. The study design had an eight-hour feeding window where participants consumed three meals. They ate at 1 p.m., 4 p.m., and 8 p.m. So their feeding window was around noon to 8 or 1 to 9 p.m. After eight weeks, what they found in this study is that intermittent fasting helped reduce fat mass, but it preserved muscle. 
It reduced insulin as well as testosterone levels. For my women with PCOS, this is very, very meaningful because it can reduce the release of androgens, which are the male hormones that cause a lot of the PCOS symptoms that we see like acne, hair loss, as well as insulin resistance. This was compared to a group of participants who ate the same amount of calories as the intermittent fasting group and had the same meal composition. So everything was the same here except for the timing of the meal and the window. So these other people in the other group had no time restriction. They could eat anytime they wanted. It makes sense that this type of fasting preserves muscle, and I want to mention that for a couple seconds here since it's important. Anytime someone loses weight, we want to preserve muscle. We want to make sure that they're not losing muscle mass, they're losing fat mass. And sometimes when people diet and they follow the wrong plan or their plan is too restrictive, they can lose muscle mass. And you can see this if you go on one of these composition scale, body composition scales that a lot of gyms have, it will show you exactly how many pounds of muscle and fat and water you have in your body. This study showed that time-restricted eating didn't really affect muscle mass. Anytime that we're breaking down muscle, the body is essentially using the protein in the muscle as an energy source. And we know from other studies that this breakdown of protein doesn't really occur before three days of straight fasting, which I wouldn't advise for anyone under any circumstances. So the body will always prefer to burn carbs and after those are depleted to burn fat as a source of energy. It goes to protein last only when there's no other choice. Going back to this study for a minute, one of the main reasons that intermittent fasting regimens produced better results and in this study better weight loss and fat mass loss outcomes for people despite being even in the amount of calories to the other group is likely that the prolonged fast that they had of about 12 or 14 hours or even if you do an 8-hour fast can cause some adaptations and favorable changes in how we metabolize food and how the body adapts to the fast. So how does this work? One central process that happens here, and I touched on this a little bit a minute ago, is that the body changes the source of energy it relies on from glucose, which is coming from carbohydrates, to fat, which is coming from our fat cells. So several hours into the fast, approximately around six to eight hours into the fast, the body has likely run out of stored glucose in the liver, which is called glycogen. So after glycogen is done and depleted, the body is going to move to burning fat for energy. And this is why we see a reduction in fat mass with people who fast. A secondary benefit of breaking down fat for energy is that we produce ketone bodies or ketones as a result of the breakdown of fat. And what we know from studies who look at people who fast periodically is that they often report more mental clarity, more focus, and concentration. And that may be related to the action of ketones on the brain. Studies show that ketones actually help build new connections in the brain, create new pathways for neurons, and strengthen the function of existing brain pathways. Pretty cool stuff, right? Another theory behind the numerous benefits of intermittent fasting as far as weight reduction and reducing disease risk is that it syncs our eating with our circadian rhythm, which is essentially our body's clock, our biological clock. We talked about this in several episodes and particularly in the episode about PCOS basics part two, where I talked about the two boosters. 
So definitely go back and check that out if you haven't already listened to it. But our circadian rhythm is based on light and darkness signals from the environment. So we are all programmed to feel sleepy when it's dark and wake up when it's light outside. And we used to think that this had no connection with eating. However, we now know that the body is least prepared to receive food in the late evening and night hours. We actually process those calories very differently than we would in the morning. So the same meal can have a totally different effect on our weight and our, all our other metabolic factors that we measure, as well as our hormones if it's eaten in the evening versus the morning. Our bodies are not designed to be processing food and receiving large amounts of calories after dark. That's a time where the body is meant to rest and the requirements for energy drop significantly. What intermittent fasting does is it allows our eating and our sleep-awake cycle to work in greater harmony, and that's a, part, a big part of the reason why it produces such good results for many people. Going back to the science, I saw another study that showed that intermittent fasting can be beneficial for reducing cardiovascular risk by lowering LDL cholesterol and also improving markers of inflammation such as a hormone called adiponectin and reducing leptin, which is another hormone that is associated with higher risk of plaque formation. For women who deal with menopause or perimenopause, estrogen levels will drop at this time, and that increases the risk for heart disease and cardiovascular events. So intermittent fasting can be a great way to manage that risk a little bit better. Another well-documented benefit of fasting is lower, lowering insulin levels and improving insulin resistance. This is particularly beneficial for reducing risk of diabetes or managing diabetes if you already have it. Women with PCOS can also reap the benefits here very significantly since levels of insulin are typically elevated and that's where we see more male hormones being secreted, higher sugar cravings, and difficulty losing weight. So even if someone with PCOS does not have diabetes or their blood sugar is perfectly normal, they could still be insulin resistant and intermittent fasting can help with that. Insulin is something that's released after we eat carbohydrates, as well as after certain proteins are consumed, by the way, like chicken can raise insulin levels as well, and it helps the end product of the carbohydrates and the protein metabolism to be absorbed from the bloodstream into the cells so they can be used to produce energy to keep everything functioning properly. When women with PCOS have insulin resistance, it means that the body doesn't respond to insulin. So even though blood sugar is elevated and even though insulin has been secreted, the body is not recognizing it properly and insulin is not entering the cells as it should be. In addition to the issues I already mentioned, having insulin resistance can mean more fat in the abdomen area, meaning the stomach area, because insulin is an anabolic hormone, which means it tells the body to build up fat tissue. So oftentimes when we see people with insulin resistance, they'll have a higher than normal body fat percentage, and especially in the midsection. I've spoken here before about how insulin tells the brain to hold on to fat, so I won't go into too much detail again, but just know that even if you don't have diabetes or PCOS, you could still be somewhat insulin resistant and that may make weight loss a bit more challenging for you. So intermittent fasting can be beneficial for weight loss indirectly here as well. 
The last benefit I'm going to mention, and this is from my own personal experience with fasting and with my clients, is that it's highly flexible and it kind of shifts the focus away from food and calorie restriction for the most part. Many people struggle to stay in a reduced calorie range, and I get it. It's not easy to do, and it's especially not easy to do when you're hyper-focused on it. We all have this tendency to rebel and not follow too many rules, and I understand that. It's human nature. And so while I don't believe in strict calorie counting, as I discussed here before in a previous episode, calories do still matter. What I've seen happen with intermittent fasting, and there's some research to back this up as well, is that when people follow a time-restricted pattern with eating, they naturally cut out calories without even trying. And interestingly, many studies show that we typically don't make up those calories in the next feeding window. So we end up in a calorie deficit just through the sheer fact that we have a hard stop based on the clock. Also, please keep in mind that even if you don't follow this to a T each and every day, you can definitely still see good results with time-restricted eating if you follow it most days of the week. This is also assuming, of course, that your choices during the feeding window are healthy and portions are not oversized. Overall, we see a lot of data that points to a positive impact of intermittent fasting on weight, reducing fat mass, preserving that muscle, and significantly improving metabolic health by reducing blood sugar, reducing blood pressure, reducing cardiovascular disease risk, as well as signs of inflammation. I do want to mention that, of course, all these benefits could still be achieved with a healthy diet that does not include fasting. So this is certainly not the only way, and there are studies that show that fasting, when it's compared to regular weight loss strategies, has no additional benefit. It's just as effective, but not much more. So there's different angles to look at this. However, I find that time-restricted eating specifically can give many people another tool in their weight loss journey that they can experiment with and kind of try on for size and see if it's making a positive impact on your health and getting you to your goals more easily. Let's talk about how you can get started with intermittent fasting and ease into it if this is something that you'd like to try. The first thing I want to mention is that you can get started by following a 10 to 14 regimen until you get used to the process of fasting. The ultimate goal would be a feeding window of eight hours, but if you want to start slowly, you can start off with a feeding window of 10 or maybe even 12 hours and see how you do. Sometimes people find that doing 12 and 12 is their sweet spot and that's great. They just stay there. The next thing you want to do is take a look at your schedule and figure out what time frame of 10 hours or 12 hours would work best for your feeding window. It's probably best if you plan the specific timing of your meals ahead for the first few days. I also suggest to my clients to end the feeding window on the earlier side. So if you could be done by 6 or 7 p.m. with the 10 or 12 hour window, that would be ideal. That would mean that you're eating the first thing around 9 a.m. I'd recommend eating three meals or two meals and two snacks in this time frame. So you'll be likely eating every three hours. For example, in my day, I may eat around 10, then around 1 or 2 p.m., and then have dinner around 6 p.m., and then I'll be done. 
That seems to be working well for me on most days. If I feel very hungry or my schedule didn't allow me to follow this particular plan, I, I change it and I don't sweat it one bit. I just regroup and try again the next day and that's how I go through my week. I have seen a lot of benefits from this as far as my energy levels and digestive health. I'm having less bloating, so that motivates me to keep it going. If you're following a more extended fast at first and not seeing results or you want to augment your efforts a bit, you could try to reduce your carb intake in the later part of the day a couple times a week. So maybe you'd skip your dinner starch and just have four to six ounces of any protein and lots of non-starchy vegetables for dinner. The combination of the extended fast with a lower carb meal in the second part of the day, assuming you have a traditional sleep schedule when we're fasting anyway during the night, that can lead to using up the fat stores as an energy source pretty efficiently. You don't need to calorie restrict since time-restricted eating often naturally controls the intake of calories if we're keeping the choices and portions reasonable. Just make sure that you're well hydrated with a minimum of 70 ounces per day, assuming you have no medical issues that necessitate fluid restriction, and if you're exercising, you'll definitely need more hydration. As you can tell, it's pretty simple to get started and test it out. There is really no major downside, and it's relatively safe for most people. Of course, you'll want to consult your doctor before starting to make sure you have no issues that will make fasting unsafe for you. But there are also known people or situations where fasting would not be recommended at all under any circumstances. So intermittent fasting is strongly discouraged if you have blood sugar fluctuations or you're taking metformin or insulin or any other blood sugar lowering medication. You want to consult your physician first. If your blood sugar tends to spike and drop or if you've ever been hypoglycemic, where your blood sugar goes too low, you definitely don't want to fast. That will make your blood sugar fluctuations even worse. If you have HPA axis dysregulation, and this is also called adrenal fatigue sometimes or any other hormonal issue, especially if your weight is within a healthy range, definitely it's not advisable that you fast. So you want to be very careful with that. It can make cortisol levels even harder to manage. And then anyone with disordered eating, any rituals around food, or a fully diagnosed eating disorder should not be fasting. And lastly, if you're pregnant or breastfeeding, fasting, of course, would not be a good way to go. That's all I have for you today. I hope you enjoyed this episode, learning more about intermittent fasting and time-restricted feeding especially. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please take a few moments to subscribe and leave a positive review. It helps more people find the show. I'll see you again here next week with a new episode. Take good care of yourself. Bye for now.